Welcome to New York Institute of Technology's podcast, The Scope. Produced by the College of Osteopathic Medicine, our episodes focus on the medical school experience and how it helps shape future physicians. Learn about exciting new health and wellness initiatives, cutting-edge medical research and technology, and how to effectively navigate medical school. We are excited to have you join us. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Scope Podcast. My name is Lerone Clark, first-year medical student. Today, we are joined by senior leadership from NYIT College of Osteopathic Medicine. Please welcome Dr. Jerry Ballantyne, our outgoing dean and newly appointed executive vice president and chief operating officer for New York Institute of Technology, and our new appointed dean of NYIT-COM, Dr. Nicole Wadsworth. Thank you both for joining us. Today, Dr. Ballantyne and Dr. Wadsworth will discuss their insights, experiences, expectations, and the future direction of NYIT-COM and medical education. Dr. Ballantyne and Dr. Wadsworth, take it away. Thank you. Uh, I'm actually very excited to be here today and especially uh, to share the stage with Nicole, who I wish good luck uh, as, as the new Dean of the College of Osteopathic Medicine. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Ballantyne. It's very exciting. And um, I never in all my planning ever imagined I'd become Dean in the midst of a pandemic. Obviously, a transition during a pandemic is different than any other transitions. Uh, this I guess less pomp, less big events. But I think the transition in medical education is always important uh, because as, as one person has gone a certain way, forged a certain path, somebody new coming in can now take that and move it a, a little bit different, uh, put their own um, kind of character on this. And I think especially for the calm, this is very important I was in many ways a non-traditional dean. So my background was very much from healthcare. And although I had been at NYIT for several years as vice president, I think the role of the next dean in many ways will be in, to rein in some of my ideas and crazy ways that I've moved the school and put her stamp on it and really add improving on some of the areas that I might've spent less time on. So I'm not sure what the, Nicole thinks about that, but that certainly gives her plenty to do for the next few years. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, one of the exciting things uh, for me as I transition into this role, following you, Jerry, is the course that you set around wellness and well-being. And one of the things that's been striking to me over the past 20 years is that we always haven't paid a lot of attention to that uh, for medical students and physicians, very, very little. We just sort of turned them out and, okay, there you go. You're trained to be a good doctor. And um, the opportunity to pick up where you've started this tradition of wellness, well-being, addressing the entire person, I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm very excited to think about that a little bit more and, and continue to evolve that because I think it's an opportunity for us to train students who not only are amazing physicians, which sort of just comes with the territory, but are amazing people and are well-rounded and can bring that into the patient care arena, which I think will really transform that experience. Well, thank you. you know, that's, a, that's a very good point. And from at least most of my career was spent in really seeing the end products of medical schools and end products of residency programs, even dealing with physicians and 
different parts of their lives. That's what I always saw lacking. I very rarely would find a physician whose clinical skills, uh, whose intellectual skills were lacking, although, you know, you find those as well. It was really the, the wellness of how they take care of, of themselves. The second component that hopefully we started, and I think there's a lot of work left on, at all medical schools across the United States, is really this concept of professionalism. Uh, we all kind of know what it means and we tell the students, you know, you have to be professional, but we don't really instill it in them every single day, every time they do something. It's really important for physicians to have a long, healthy and happy career, not just to be well and feel well about themselves, but also to have this professionalism that will protect them in many ways from many of the mistakes uh, and potential pitfalls that physicians face. I completely agree. And I think professionalism is part of that curriculum that is challenging. And, and partly um, as students start, one of the biggest chores I think we have as medical educators is to help students transition from a student identity to a professional identity. And if done so early on in a student's career, I think we start to set the stage for what it really means to be a professional and to continue to develop that skill over time um, so that they go on to demonstrate uh, those qualities that I think patients are really looking for. Another challenge for a student, um, they come into medical school ready to learn and to achieve at a high level, which they all are perfectly capable of. And we know that as they walk across our threshold, they have the credentials to be superstars. But these particular skills sometimes are met with um, a little bit of resistance because it's not obvious or apparent why it's so important now. And um, I think, again, that falls onto our shoulders as the educators to explain why. And you know, you play the way you practice. And if we can start to develop the professionalism identity early on alongside of all the medical knowledge and all the skills that, student, that the students need to, to demonstrate across time, I think they'll be in a much better position at the, as they enter residency and graduate medical education. Absolutely. And I think the struggle is, how do you teach this? So I was involved with the Federation of State Medical Boards, uh, one of the educational projects. And one of the uh, things we worked on was a presentation to students about what medical boards and professionalism, how to get in trouble. And when we were all done, and these were certainly many very bright people, I basically found a PowerPoint slide presentation. I said, well, that's not how you teach somebody professionalism by clicking through 20 slides. But how do we really incorporate this into the curriculum that it's seen every day and partially, and as, as you know, when there were ever decisions made about students, the one part that I was very strict about was unprofessional behavior, because I think we have to model it every single day to our students, and we have to expect it from them. Because that's the only way they really get to that point when it's just second nature, where they realize they're no longer college students, but they're physicians in training, which is that tricky transition that you speak about as well. I mean, I know the other concept that we always speak about, and if I may use the term bonded over, is how to admit the right students, right? It's, it's easy for us to just say, well, you know, if you don't have a 3.9 uh, GPA and a 510 MCAT, we will not consider you. 
but that leaves many students behind who will make great physicians, but who might not make it through medical school because the academic challenge is just such a high bar. And so I'm hoping that one of the things you continue pursuing is, is your passion for finding those students, helping them get in, giving them a chance and supporting them. Because there's such a talented group of people that would be great physicians that will never make it into medical school because of these cutoffs. And I think that's actually something that uh, hopefully uh, will be a great challenge for you to take on. Yeah, I'm, I too am excited about that. And um, we know that students coming in with high credentials can tackle the curriculum and, and they can be successful. The unknowns are sort of those, those pieces that we just talked about, the professionalism, the situational judgment, the, the ability to have insight to yourself and, and how you achieve. And, and one of the things that I've found over the years is that although a student may not be able to get a 95 consistently, the student who can have the personal insight to know I need help or this resource can be very helpful to me or I need to seek another way to accomplish this does so much better because a physician is so much more than knowledge. A physician is someone who sits and holds somebody's hand as they have a painful procedure or can talk with a family and deliver bad news. And, and honestly, it, it doesn't matter to me how much of the Krebs cycle, you know, but you need to be able to demonstrate those compassionate skills um, to be a very successful physician. And, and I think those are the pieces that students that, you know, maybe they don't have a 3.9 that are hidden in those credentials that we don't necessarily look like, look at as, as uh, robustly. So I'm excited about some of the new endeavors that some of our national um, organizations are looking at around holistic admissions and other sort of soft skills that our physicians have that interview students to identify these other skill sets or abilities that we can bring students uh, to the medical school. And I think ultimately that they'll succeed Maybe they need a little bit different support from us, but we, we are certainly up for, for providing those supports because at the end of the day, I think they'll make amazing physicians. Well, maybe we'll put our host uh, on the spot for a second and ask him. So uh, what do you think the next dean of the medical school is going to have to be really good at uh, for the students to respond in a positive fashion? I mean, it's obviously a very high bar to follow me, but I think uh, we should at least give Nicole a chance. So what do you think Dr. Wadsworth could do to really get the students excited about being the new dean? Well, thank you for including me. One of the things that may be really important is just having kind of that open line of communication um, and being able to engage with students, um, being able to have these conversations and have and identify the different problems that we're facing as like a medical community. I think it's important for students to understand some of the things that you were just saying, understand those soft skills, understand the difference between being a compassionate student physician and future physician on top of trying to navigate medical school and navigate trying to do the best you can on your exams and et cetera. So I think it's just really important to kind of provide that framework um, and to help students to understand that that is what's important, that is what helps to make 
a good physician and that is what we want to aspire to be a part of yeah and kind of <laughs> go in that direction great those are um, very good uh wise words that i'll certainly incorporate into my thinking so i, I wonder if i'll turn the tables a little bit uh to you, Jerry, as the outgoing dean and someone who's uh, been in medical education for many years in different roles, what what kind of um, recommendations or or insights can you share with me? I think in many ways it's the same thing we just heard from our student host. I don't think he can over communicate. I can't. I don't think he can give enough access. Now, I'm not talking about. My door is open, walk in. Well, that's not practical, right? That's not practical based on the schedule that you probably already have by now. That's not practical on the number of students you're responsible for. But certainly just like I've seen already, frequent communication to the students, meeting with smaller groups to get a sense. And then I think to take their concerns and take them serious but not necessarily having to respond to them. The students will have certain concerns that are true concerns for them that we need to take serious, but we might not be able to say, well, yes, we will change that because 20 years of experience have taught you this is not the way to go. But that doesn't mean you can just look at them and say, oh gosh, that's a silly idea. We've tried that five times, it'll never work. But instead listening to it, thinking about what it really means for them and where it's coming from. And the same is true for faculty and staff, although we always talk about student-centric and student-geared, you really need to be the same for your faculty and staff. It's only if they are satisfied with the daily job will they really become great teachers. And then finally, what I've always used in my career when I was sitting in front of uh, a massive spreadsheet and making decisions that in medical school I never thought anybody would ask me to make is, you know, what will the ultimate individual patient gain from this or lose from this. As you know, I always speak about the first patient our students see, you know, that when that is a good encounter, great communication skills, the diagnosis is made, uh, uh, all of that is put together. And that's what you really should be measured by. And that's what you should measure yourself by. What these students who will graduate in four years, how will they interact with that first patient they see after residency even? And I think that keeps us kind of grounded uh, and able to really kind of realize what a privilege it is to be a dean, to be a faculty at a medical school, and ultimately to be a physician or physician in training. Great, thank you. Another uh, question came to mind as you're shifting your role and and looking out across higher education and and maybe still a little bit into the medical landscape. What kind of things would you imagine or skills would be helpful as we uh, continue our medical education endeavor beyond what we talked about. So compassion, professionalism, knowledge, what other things do you see that would be beneficial? Well, as a dean or as an institution, I think to be able to let go of what we all think is total truths and sometimes challenge them, right? So we in March had, I think, a week notice to go fully remote, right? If three years ago, you and I in 20 very smart educators would sit around and we would have said to them, well, how could we go fully remote in a medical school? We all within five minutes would have said that will never work. Let's move on to the next subject matter. So I think taking all these established truths and at least in your mind, uh, in your planning, challenge them, 
realizing that often you will only veer off 10% for right now, but at least in your mindset, what if we had to do something 100% different? What if we had this or that? And that'll challenge you and that'll help you kind of improve the school without constantly just following other people's patterns. And, you know, it's the, the flipped classroom. Okay, so everybody does the flipped classroom. Fine, we should do it. But let's not just follow those patterns. What's the next step in the flipped classroom? And I, I think, uh, you know, the program that you started, where all the lectures are released on a certain day so the students can plan their own week forward. I think that's great. I think those are the kind of projects that can improve the life of a medical student, can improve the educational outcomes, uh, and can just make it a, an even better school. So I think one question I would have, and I think it was kind of part of the introduction that I was saying, was just in terms of the future of medical education. And what are the types of things that you think are important to emphasize as we go into an ever-changing uh, system in medical education? We have so many things that you know, have transpired in the last few weeks and months, and so many questions are being asked. Um, so what are the things that you think are significant to pay attention to? And what advice would you have for medical students and other medical educators? Great question. Well, certainly, if, if nothing else, and um, Jerry sort of uh, alluded to this already, the last 12 months have taught us we, planning is helpful, but it's not everything. And, and being adaptable and um, thinking about the moment and perhaps what it looks like in the future can be very helpful. And I have the deepest sympathy for students going through medical education right now. And on the flip side, I'm super excited for them. They've experienced this uh, in a way that, you know, many other people would not have had an opportunity to do so. And I think you'll take that into your career and it'll be quite meaningful. What's the future of telemedicine? We've certainly seen such a significant shift. That will be part of your, your uh, practice, I suspect, and many people's practice. What does clinical education truly mean? And, and I think we're taking a deep look at that, as are many other people, to make sure that students have both the skills and experiences they need, and what else do they need to be successful? From our experience at NYIT, we certainly learned that students perform quite well in this environment from an assessment standpoint. So, so that's encouraging. How do we leverage that? How do we move forward with that sort of information to make sure students are continuing to achieve at this high level, but maybe augment their education in other ways? So I, I don't have a specific answer other than being adaptable, recognizing we can be adaptable, and, and trying to stay a little bit ahead of the curve will certainly help us um, be, you know, be able to pivot as we need to. Yeah, and I, I would add to that the concepts of being your uh, patient advocate, even as a medical student. And you can be a patient advocate by getting involved in organized medicine, let's call it, by being in your county medical associations, being in uh, larger organizations that represent specialties or other parts of medicine. But in there to be true to yourself, an advocate for patients. Often when I work with these organizations, they advocate for themselves. And I think it's certainly reasonable that I say, look, you know, if Medicare wants to cut reimbursement for sessions, we should fight against that. These, uh, you know, we, we need to 
pay them uh, salaries, we need to make sure that the insurance covers all the things. But in the end, what you really want to be representing your patients there and be true to them. And there are many opportunities to, to do so. Uh, I was very involved in medical school, less involved as a resident and less involved as a young attending. These are other things on my mind. But as I got more and more involved, I saw the value of being able to actually make changes. And that then also goes back to wellness, right? If you feel a little bit empowered to make a change, there's less of a burnout. You see, not just sitting there saying, oh, the insurance companies are just beating up on me. No, I was involved. I'm sitting around the table and I suddenly see their point of view, which might not be as evil as everybody has told me, but it might just be a different point of view. So I think certainly being involved with different organizations that represent medicine and patients in different ways can be very rewarding, but it's also very important. Well, thank both of you for your answers. Thank you for your perspectives on this. And I think it's very interesting and very important for us to be able to understand these different things as we continue uh, in our medical education. Um, and if you have any additional uh, comments or advice that you might want to share with one another in terms of uh, this transition period that we're uh, discussing, um, feel free to share that. I'm not giving Nicole any other hints. Dr. Wadsworth is on her own going forward. All right, Dr. Ballantyne is tapping out officially. <laughs> I think working, working together in a team and, and continuing to have compassion and kindness and everyday experiences is, is some of the best things that we can do. I would like to thank both Dr. Ballantyne and Dr. Wadsworth for joining us today and sharing their insights and experiences with our listeners. We thank Dr. Ballantyne for his service and continued dedication to our medical school, and we are excited about the strong leadership of our new dean, Dr. Nicole Wadsworth as NYIT College of Osteopathic Medicine continues to advance as a strong, proactive leader and positive example within the medical education field.